0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Morris Arduin, author of Stone Motel: Memoirs of a Cajun Boy,
2: and I'm John Marzalak, author of Coming Out of the Magnolia Closet: Same-Sex Couples in Mississippi.
0: And I'm Pip Gordon, author of Gay Faulkner: Uncovering a Homosexual Presence in Yakovlevitskaya
2: and Beyond. <laughs> We're your co-hosts for the new podcast, Queer Voices of the South, now easily accessible on the New Book Network's LGBTQ Studies channel. The last quarter of 2020 was a whirlwind as we started producing episodes to get this channel going.
0: And so far, we produced a great many wonderful episodes. Back in October, we had our first episode with John interviewing Morris about his book. Morris and John then interviewed Robert Feisler about his award-winning book, *Tinderbox: the untold story of the upstairs lounge fire and the rise of gay liberation. Uh, And Morris and John, would you all mind starting off this conversation by telling some of our listeners what struck you most about those interviews that you've already done?
1: Well, um, when I was interviewed uh, – when I well, – interviewed by – John interviewed me first, right? No. Yeah, that was right. the first That's one? right. That's right. Yep. Okay, That's remember, right. I'm trying to get him in order. Um, I, it was a great conversation because John is such a good host. He's such a good uh, uh, questioner. Um, I You're very I, kind. I quite enjoyed – it was like a good chat, and it made me feel – he made me feel very comfortable. So the conversation is like that. It's very friendly, and um, we we just got to know each other. You'll learn about that in a few more minutes um, over the course of this year. So it, it was a nice way to warm up to um, the whole process, um, and I, I like talking about my bo- book. I think we all do, but yeah. um, it really it was a great experience for me.
2: Yeah, and Morris, I think what struck me about talking to you – and I may have said it at the time, I can't remember, but just your um, passion for telling your story. And um, you just had so much energy as you were talking about it. It was obvious, at least to me, that it seemed to be like a, just a, a work of a labor of love for you doing that project.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it was. Um, I, I was glad that we got to talk about it t- together. Um, and, and then didn't we uh, together? We did together interview Robert uh, Bobby. Fe- he says Fiesler, Feisler Feisler, um, and his book Tinderbox, which was a fac- which is a fascinating book, and it was such a it's such a powerful read. That um, we didn't have to say much. He, when he explained the book, um, there is so much to tell. There, I think that's 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 a it's typical of every book, every really really powerful book like his that does so much of a service for the whole LGBT community about our very history. So that's what I found uh, the biggest takeaway for uh, for me was that it was so powerful.
2: You know, one of the things that um, for some reason keeps popping into my mind about that interview was, of course, um, Bobby was telling us about the bar itself in New Orleans that had, been, that had been burnt down. And I'd asked him about, you know, what was a bar like? If someone were to walk in the door, go up those stairs and go into that bar that was there in the 70s, what would it be like for someone? And as he was talking about that, you talked about a bar that you had um, been to in Lafayette, Louisiana, that sounded so familiar to you. And I thought that was an interesting way that you, you connected your book or your experience anyway to what um, his experience was researching his, for his book.
1: Yeah, I think what uh, what resonated with me as a person of the right uh, who grew up in that period, I was I'm 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 an old guy. <laughs> I was uh, coming of age at in the 1970s, um, and so um, I I was I remember watching or listening, reading the news about these things as they happened. Uh, the little incidents about people like me around the world, and I was like. Um, I, this was one of them. That fire was, was horrific. And um, uh, those of you who know the fire, um, there is a horrible picture, a photo that went worldwide accompanying that picture. And I remember seeing that and being just completely devastated. And my thought was I know these people. I know mm-hmm. in my own little community in Lafayette, in the bar that I would go out to, um, they're, they're the same kind of working class people who would get together. This was a safe haven for them. And it was just such a gut wrenching story to, to read his book. Uh, because I felt it in a way that was very personal, um, I, and I saw these people. Like I said, knew these kind of people. So, I, I, um, I, I, I if this is a book. Um, I'm, I, I do this well. A lot of books, but I, I'm definitely going back to that book again and again yeah. as, um, I, as, I, as things come up that remind me of things. So, um, it's, it's it was a terrific um, experience. The the read of the book and the, the and getting to talk to a person like him.
2: Well, and your book's a wonderful book and a great read, too, Morris. Um, Stone Motel, you know, about your experiences growing up in this area of Louisiana. In fact, um, my mother's reading it right now and she's really excited about it. She listened to our interview and she, she, you really, hearing you talk about it got her really interested. So she's reading it. And um, I just ordered a, a copy for a friend of mine who's a Cajun who, um, is from that area too so i think a lot Don't of people tell her. Will relate to it no i it's a christmas present i can't tell her that oh yeah no, no. Uh, oh yeah 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 this won't be out
1: until right around uh, the end of the year so that's cool you'll you make it
2: good no, that's, that's, a, great, right. that's yeah. a great
1: gift that's a very good yeah. gift everybody buy our books for christmas presents for every all yes. their friends Yeah, we love that um yeah so um <laughs> i think we need to um talk to pip about now i about, think we do Um, He was our guest. Um, John, you and me uh, interviewed him in November about his amazing book. Um, So can you tell us about how that was for you, Pip, when you were interviewed by us?
0: Well, first off, I'm going to start by saying, by pointing out kind of an obvious error I made. I can say the word Yakutatava in my sleep, but apparently I can't pronounce Fiesler correctly. I apologize, Bobby, with all of my heart. Sorry about that.
1: Um, oh, I so, think we all make that mistake. It's he's <laughs> used to it. We all do it. So don't 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 beat yourself up. Yes, but
0: I don't want to go down in history as one of those bad gays You can't say names right, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so no, yeah, I I enjoyed uh, the interview that we did back in November. Actually, I, I guess it published in November, but I I kind of enjoyed very much the little um uh, l- the little uh, side bit that we actually recorded it on October thirtieth, which happened to be my birthday. I turned twenty one, um, or something like that. Uh, so it was actually a really enjoyable way to spend my birthday. Uh, when we started talking about these podcasts and thought we'd interview each other I thought that'll be great but I also had like for some reason this this nervous fear that talking about my book in response to questions for approximately an hour would go bad and that I would like talk for like two minutes answer a few basic questions and then we would spend the hour like virtually staring at each other across Zencaster or something like that um and of course you know you ask a question and Forty-five minutes later, I sort of wrap up an answer uh, because in this very <laughs> because in this very strange year that we've been living through, um, it was just such a nice opportunity to get to talk about my book to people who have read the book, who are interested in the book, to think about ways of of describing my book for for other possible readers in the future. Um, because it's been such a strange year with with so with, with it being so difficult to have. Uh, to have any book events at all, most book events have been virtual, if they've if they've existed at all. Um, and because of that, as authors, and I think we'll we'll probably talk more about this later when we've when we've been over some of our some of our books that we've we've got lined up and have been doing interviews on. But as authors publishing through the pandemic, uh, that's it's it's been very nice to have an opportunity to just finally talk about the book that we've spent so much time on uh openly honestly tell the stories of their origins uh the challenges we face the kind of rewarding parts of being writers and that was very valuable for me to have the opportunity to sit down and just just talk my face off basically um telling telling stories about the book i found i found when we got to the end of the hour i was like what do you mean we're wrapping up i i have so much more to say now um so that was sort of what was what was fun for me, at least, about the interview. I don't I don't know what y'all thought on your end. Uh, my mom listened to the interview apparently on her iPhone with my stepdad. They sat like next to each other, listening to it for the, for the, for an hour after it went live, and and it was like the most entertaining thing they've said they've listened to in a while. And I have to ask the question, like mom maybe you should find more entertaining things to listen to. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, but, but it, it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun to, to, to just have that opportunity um, after this very unique unique situation we have found ourselves in. So I don't know if y'all, if y'all, if y'all want to comment on that also right now. Or if you I'd wanna- like
2: to, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that really struck me about your book, and I think that'll really be interesting to listeners who haven't, haven't listened to that podcast, is the whole idea that you talked about um the difference in um is is there a queer Faulkner versus was Faulkner queer?
0: Yeah, and it it's so fascinating you bring that up right now. Um I won't go into too much detail, but I've been privileged, I'll say, this week to be part of a of a long email exchange with other Faulkner scholars, uh, primarily on matters of uh racism and anti-racism, and how do you teach Faulkner's writing? given that he was a white man living at a a different time. And even if you want to be generous, he certainly doesn't come across as progressive on matters of race. Um, And I found myself in the conversation, you know, sort of positioning myself similarly in that question, like, let's talk about how we understand Faulkner. What are we trying to prove about the man versus what are we trying to understand about his works in the way in which we as readers can interpret them and do interpret them and, and how they may do more than say what his biography alone can, can support. Just because Faulkner said this or did this, does that mean there's not more information out there? Just because Faulkner may have been this white cisgendered man at this moment in history, does that mean we can't think more broadly about how his works do in fact reflect more than he may have even been at times aware of. And of course, maybe he's more aware of things than we than we give him credit for. Maybe he's more progressive than he comes across in his books. And particularly on matters of sexuality. It's In the Faulkner world, I, there's like the two camps. People who are like, we love this book. And people who will not speak to me at all. Uh, they're like, just ignore him. Wow. Away. Yeah, uh, and, and I think it is, it's sort of like a, hmm. but it, it falls into the question of, what do we do with these icons and idols of our past? How do we keep them alive? How do we keep them relevant? And recycling the old material over and over again is not the way to do that. Um, to brag a bit about my book, I do think of it in many ways as like an attempt to you know, make Faulkner relevant again by, by asking people to think beyond what they think they know about them um, and consider alternative ways of understanding his immense contributions so there see notice you you get me started and just time elapses while i'm talking about my book (laughs) because that's so wonderful to have that opportunity so um i don't know i'll I'll turn it over to either of you if any of you want to want to make any more comments there or i can also uh trans transition now into uh morris uh who did another interview for us and we can move on from the faulkner world if you would like um so yeah yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, uh, Morris, um, I believe that you did an early interview with Jim Downs, uh, author of a book called stand by me, the forgotten history of gay liberation. Could you kind of tell us a bit about that interview and that book? I was not privy to that conversation. I think you might've done that one on your own, correct?
1: Yeah, I did. It was my first uh, podcast by myself. We had been doing them together and that was kind of fun. And, um, so this book, um, for me, after having read uh, Bobby Fiesler's book about the New Orleans fire, um, it it was it kind of it kind of caught my attention because it was very similar in in its subject matter and and um, it's uh, the forgotten history of gay liberation. And I thought, wait, what's that all about? Sounds like and it, it also comes from the same period, the time period. He looked at the beginning. He's looking at in his book the beginning of the the, the move, the the various components of the LGBT movement. Um, and before the AIDS crisis. Um, and that was, so the seventies were very, very rich, um, with development as a, a culture. Uh, um, and he, and his book, his premise of his book is a lot of that was forgotten. He uses that word in his title, um, because, um, so many things have happened since then to kind of wash over. But at the time, um, the, the culture, the gay culture before the liberation movement happened, um, was was reduced, was distilled down to gay men basically are sex fiends, and um, when uh, the uh, AIDS a- HIV AIDS uh, crisis started happening in the early '80s, um, it just reinforced that. And so uh, he said, no, 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 no. There's a whole lot of significant, solid social development that was being worked on by the LGBT community in in realms of for example, the MCC Church, which Bobby mentions in his book, is an assembly there that night of that fire, um, where uh, the gay community put together a, a, a place to worship, um, the Metropolitan Community Church, and that became a nationwide, and it's worldwide now, um, a movement back in the 70s. It was very small. It was very, very nascent. Um, and at the same time, gay publications, gay popular press, um, Booklets, pamphlets, uh, a lot of uh, uh, literature was beginning to happen in a way that it had not happened before. Magazines, newspapers, so um, it, it, that was another component that was uh, it merged with the um, the religious uh, component of the the development of the uh, the movement. But it it, it became uh, uh, just a piece because there were other things happening at the same time. There were there were popular um, uh, entertainment, uh, theaters, uh, theater shows, and things that began to help the whole movement blossom and solidify, and give it a lot more well-roundedness than it had been given credit for before that period. So he actually starts off like Bobby uh, uh, Feisler does in his book um, with the fire. In New Orleans, so coincidentally, they're both talking about the same one of the same incidents that was very pivotal to the entire movement. Uh, the movement is uh, everyone thinks the movement really started um, with the Stonewall riots in New York City. That was one of the beginning points, but that fire was also very very significant. As John, you and I talked to Bobby about, um, yeah. in, in, in helping spread um, the reality that um, that the movement didn't really kick into gear until it became nationalized around a horrific event. Um, like the, the fire, so um, his book goes on uh, about other areas of development, about uh, piv- uh, pivotal leaders in the uh, gay community, and um, I-, I just found it one of those things. It's like uh, I needed to know more about my own background, and I found both the two books um, helpful to me because I, I, like I said, I grew up in it, but I didn't see it. Uh, i have never read it solidified this way in and two very very compelling books it's to, they're both told very in a way that's very human and you get the the point of these real people going through this stuff the fighters for the liberation and the men who suffer men and women who suffered in that fire these are real people making things happen so um that's what that was a great conversation with jim downs and i i was I, I was i was very pleased that uh when he and i were talking um, he was just like you, Pip. He could, he could go. He could talk and talk and talk, and I let him. So I think that's a great. It's a great interview. It's a great conversation that he takes takes uh, over in a way that I was so thrilled with. He, I mean, in uh, any kind of interviewers, uh, I think ideal um, subject is going to be a person just like you, Pip, <laughs> who can talk. So God,
0: thank um, you very much.
1: <laughs> yes, it's it's a godsend, and, and so I loved I loved doing it. Um, so I think it's. We need to go on to another. I've got to watch the time. We only have an hour here. Um, uh, John, you did a book, uh, your interview with Tom Restorelli about his book called Confessions of a Gay Priest, a memoir of sex, love, abuse, and scandal in the Catholic seminary. That sounds juicy. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, I was really excited to interview Tom, and, and you pronounce his ra- name correctly, Rostrelli. And okay. um, you know, I grew up Catholic myself, and one of the things, one of the chapters in my book is about um, talking to, in my book, gay couples and their experiences with religion and spirituality, and it's something that's fascinated me for for a long time. And his book is about really being drawn to the priesthood, and you know, growing up in, in the Catholic Church, growing up in a family that was. I guess very Catholic like mine like mine was too, and when he gets into the seminary, he finds that uh, he finds that it's not the way he expected it to be that there's um there are priests who are um sexually abusing him um he talks about um the pressure to Present yourself one way in public as a priest who is celibate, but then he finds out that the celibacy that's presented in public is not happening behind the scenes. That wow. there are there and then there's a lot of homosexuality um, in the seminary and then in the priesthood. And he talks about um, it's a book that was is so well done. It's his memoir, and it, it really relates to anyone who's ever experienced depression, because obviously he went through a severe depression when he gets in the priesthood and finds out this is happening and starts questioning if this is, you know, the right path in his life. But it also, it's also for people that have ever faced abuse because he faced quite a bit of verbal abuse and sexual abuse from priests that had power over him as a seminarian. And then also he talks about, um, his experience being abused by his pediatrician when he was younger. So it's a really, really powerful book. He's, and he's such a great guy to talk to because he's so open about telling a story. Um, and as I said with him during the podcast, he he also mixed in with this, tells these beautiful stories of of him caring for people, why he went in the priesthood in the first place. Um, talks about caring for a woman with cancer who's dying and all these just beautiful stories.
0: John, I want to sort of jump in here if I can about the book. Um, it's, it's a great it's a great book. It's a we really focus in this podcast on nonfiction that's LGBTQ plus themed. Um, but when I'm hearing your description here, I think it might be useful for us to sort of talk to our audience a bit about queer voices of the South um, and how this book uh, how does this how this book fits into our overall. Uh, focus and as kind of a side bit there, like I'm Catholic and was raised in the South, ah. well. and actually in the early 2000s, in particular, as I as I sort of moved on to college and got away from my hometown, uh, there was actually a a not terribly well publicized but nonetheless problematic uh, issue of some sexual abuse that emerged out of a priest who had just been transferred to my home diocese, uh, and ah. and I, I kind of experienced that by living in West Tennessee and watching uh, some folks from down south sort of process what it meant especially since frankly my town was not very catholic (laughs) uh there was like a small group of us um but i don't know i just was wondering if you could sort of talk a bit about uh what this book adds to our discussion of queer voices of the south based on your interview and reading of it
2: yeah i really i really struggled with that when i when i first um you know, saw the book and really wanted to interview Tom because I was trying to figure out how does this fit into Queer Voices of the South? It's a book that, um, you know, it takes place in Iowa. That's where he's a seminarian. That's where he grew up. And as I read the book, I realized, um, number one, I really related to it because I grew up Catholic like you. And I also seriously considered becoming a priest myself. So I could really relate to what he was talking about. But in terms of the South, I realized that and we talk about this in that podcast. The things he talks about um, in terms of spirituality and sexuality, the, the the connection between spiritual identity and sexual identity, um, are so universal that it relates to the South and relates to any region of the country. Plus the fact that I think it's even more of an issue in the South, where religion is such a dominant force. It affects it affects you know governments. It affects towns. It affects. Um, so much of the culture of the South, and so I thought it was an important story to tell, even if it did take place in Iowa. But during the interview, as we were talking about this and how it did connect to the South, um, Tom had let me know that his husband is actually from Alabama, and so we felt like we had a connection there. We had a voice of the South who was, um, you know, married to the author.
0: That's really that's that's really fascinating. I mean, I'm am a southerner who has been transplanted up to Wisconsin. I'm we're recording this as I look out my window and at what mm. I would have considered growing up a snowpocalypse, but is like in no way <laughs> affecting people here at all. Uh, but in living in Wisconsin, I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this. I mean, as, as I've lived here now and I'm in my seventh year, I I can honestly say like Wisconsin is the Mississippi of the North. Yes, they had different accents, but let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, so I guess that makes Iowa, and geez, Morris, please don't get mad at me. I guess that makes Iowa like a very a very odd version of louisiana no we won't we
1: won't go there um uh, it can't uh, match the food in louisiana whatever else we
0: we have mastered the white plate up here there's no doubt about that Uh, but uh, i guess i mean i think that's a fascinating way to think about what we mean when we talk about queer voices of the south um and and i know there's other ways in which we want to think kind of expanding that um some of the books that i've i'm hoping to do interviews on i I don't want to name names until i've worked on Uh, scheduling some of those interviews uh, formally have to do with authors who are from somewhere else, but are actually publishing with presses in the South, like our press, University Press of Mississippi, absolutely, uh, which is is adding a lot of LGBTQ titles to its repertoire. Um, Writers writing about the South versus being from the South and have moved on or have other connections to, or, and I don't want to, I don't want to get too literary here, like thematic connections to the ways in which the experience of growing up in a rural and very religious South are reflected in some of these other other works. I think that's a really fascinating angle that we can be thinking of um, with our podcast, and as I hope our listeners are sort of uh, thinking about as well. Um, if I, unless you wanted to say something more about that, I was actually going to actually transition transition into a sort of an, uh, an interesting little thing we've got here. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, um, well, I guess at some point, John. <laughs> yes. Have you been interviewed for this? <laughs> Wait, you have. Why? Why have we not? Was that part of our? Tell us about the history of your interview for this. For this little shindig we're pulling off here.
2: Well, I wanted you to to interview me, but you told me I had to send you money, and when I didn't do that, you kicked me off the show. <laughs> well, I mean, I would have and cookies <laughs> and wine and yeah, yeah, no. yeah. No, in all seriousness, I was interviewed by um, Chris Babbitt back in September, just as just around the time that the three of us started talking about doing something like this. We were kind of, you know, the three of us were dabbling on what could we do to promote our books during a pandemic. And I was interviewed by Chris Babbitt. So um, it was a great experience and shared my experience with you all. And we all kind of went from there.
0: Um, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> what is your book about, John? Would you tell us a bit about it? I mean, it's kind of of, of of a fundamental book in all of this and i believe yours is one of the books that's actually been winning some of the awards and stuff like that can you tell us a bit about what coming out of magnolia closet uh is where it came from and what that interview was actually like since you didn't have the joy of the two of us since we were all angry you hadn't yet sent us money and and cookies, uh,
2: <laughs> if, if and, i must if i must tip <laughs> yeah um so my book, uh, Coming Out of the Magnolia Closet, is based on the interviews I did with same-sex couples around Mississippi. Um, I ev- had evacuated from New Orleans back to my home in Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina and thought I'd be there for a little while and ended up meeting my, my husband, who's now my husband, and of course fell in love and so on and realized that I was going to be stuck in Mississippi for a while, and I really questioned whether that was something I wanted to, to do, if I wanted to stay there, because especially with the government, um, the, some of the laws passed in Mississippi and the reaction by politicians and religious leaders, you know, for obvious reasons. So I just really wanted to know if I was having these questions living in a college town where it was much more progressive for, for gay couples, same-sex couples. What what was it like for these couples living in small towns and rural areas? And so, just like most most of us who have PhDs, we just we turned it into a research project. And so I um, – that's what I did. I traveled around the state interviewing couples. And so the book tells the stories of all these different couples, what their experiences are like, both positive and negative. And then I, as as you go through the book, you'll see that I've weaved in my own story of um, making a decision whether or not to stay in Mississippi, meeting my husband, and so on. So it was it was just a great uh, – it was a great experience being able to talk to so many couples in their homes across the state.
1: Um, John? Your last interview of this year was uh, with Ashen Crawley, who wrote the Lonely Letters. Um, tell us about that. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look at that book yet. Tell us all about it.
2: Yeah, that was that was a that was a great experience too. Um, he pronounces his name Ashen Crawley, and there's no way you'd know that. I've 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 learned doing this that I have to ask every person how they pronounce their names because first and last, because you never know how it's pronounced. I'm going but, to jump
0: in there and say, thank you, John, for saving me from my mistake. on mispronouncing Bobby's name earlier. You make me feel better. I, I did. Uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I, mean, Bobby I think that was more. Morris actually, but uh, I'll Ashan. take credit. See, okay. you, wouldn't know, you wouldn't know just by seeing it. So thank you for that. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. So Sean Crawley is a um, professor at University of Virginia and he, um, I believe I believe he's a professor of religious studies and, um, gosh, I think it's black. I think it's black studies too. But the Lonely Letters is about his experience as a, as he calls himself, a black black queer who's also, also grew up in the Pentecostal church, and he writes. He tells. He explores these different. Um, ideas, the idea of being black and queer and what that's like, and also being a member of the Pentecostal church. He explores this through letters, and he has two characters, one called A and one called Moth. And the two of them are corresponding in letters talking about these these different concepts. And it's really interesting because there's a reason why Moth is called Moth, and you learn about that in the book. And A represents a Sean, And um, I don't want to give away too much, but he's just a – he's a beautiful writer. Um, He brings in the power of music and dance that was so important to him in the Pentecostal church and how that has – how that comes into his life, and he believes it comes into the lives of black queer people. He also talk he also explores the concept of loneliness and how lonely it can be for somebody who's black, queer and single when they've been part of a community like the Pentecostal church but then, then they are literally you know forced out if they're open about their sexual orientation so it's I think it's a book that will really relate to a lot of people um and of course it um he was public he's published by Duke, Duke University Press, which is a really um great press of LGBT titles.
1: Great.
0: That sounds uh, – yeah.
1: yeah, go oh, ahead, Morris. Go ahead. No, it's, it sounds great. I, I got chills as you were describing that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, he's – Yeah, John, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm the one jumping on top of both of y'all. By all means, please finish no, no, it. No,
2: no, It's, it's <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was just going to say that you never know what it's going to be – I'm kind of preaching to the choir, I'm sure, but you never really know what it's going to be like when you talk to an author, these authors we're interviewing. And I just feel so fortunate so far that all of the authors I've talked to, and I think that you've talked to too, have just been such wonderful guests. Um, It's a, it's a wonderful experience to be able to talk to an author about his book after reading it and being able to ask questions and hear the passion they have about their books. And that, that came through so much for a Sean, just a really fascinating person who, um, even though I'm not black and queer, I realized after the interview that I had learned so much about myself, just listening to him talk and reading his book.
0: That's really uh, – that's a real – that's a really a great thing, I think, about this whole process of interviewing. We are all avid readers, writers ourselves, um, kind of approach our various – our various uh, – work in different ways, but I like what you said there, John, about, you know, I'm, I'm an academic and queer. I'll, I know I'll make a research project out of it. I think that's a true statement yeah. about yeah. sort of experience things, but also, I mean, and, and Morris might speak to this too, sort of a, a need to tell our stories and tell them well, and find ways to sort of reach out to others and use that to sort of, I don't know, create a sense of our own identities with each other in a way that just seems like something we all feel Compelled to do and tell tell these stories, which have not always been front and center in in the American canon, in the ways in which uh, literature is published, and it's just really interesting to hear sort of the variety of of different stories that we've been compiling that y'all have been doing the the interviews for. Everything from gay liberation to uh, confronting issues of religion um, to just sort of the what it's like to be queer and in, in rural places, uh, queer and have intersectional identities. It just really Seems like we've done a lot of really cool work, but I know that at least y'all have some good stuff coming up as well. Um, would either of you want to speak about any of the upcoming interviews that that we have planned for the next few months? At least I know we've got a few sort of we're waiting to hear back from.
1: But yeah, I got one lined up for January. Um, this is a book by Daniel Harrison, who um, who's a professor of sociology at Lando University in Greenwood, South Carolina. Um, his book is published by the South Carolina Press, another one of those Southern academic presses. They do such great work. They're they're really helping do exact help us do exactly what you were just talking about, Pip. Us use our own voices finally to talk, tell our stories. And there's so many diverse stories. And this one's a hoot. Um, it's it's it reads like a, it is a crime kind of crime novel. It's um, it is not actually a novel, but um, it it so it's real life. He is writing about a place called. Um, the book is called live at Jackson station uh, music community and tragedy in a Southern blues bar. Now Jackson station, um, is, was actually a railroad, um, depot in uh, South Carolina. And he, uh, they were going to tear it down and he, uh, Bought it for like a dollar and and paid to have it moved and um, onto his own property and and opened a giant basically a, a, can you imagine how big a, a, a train depot is and uh, opened a big honky tonk basically uh, with but not just that kind of music uh, he brought in music from all over the place all over the world in, including uh, the local music and so um, it w- became a sensation and it had a great run for about a decade um and in the um let's see it was 1980s um and he brought he he helped he was kind of they were he, not just him uh, uh, uh the owner sorry i'm 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 saying him without telling you who the owner was um the owner was this person uh, it, was, it was a gay couple who were in um living there and um were doing other jobs and they thought well we're gonna run this place and it and and you would think well maybe it was a gay bar no it the gay there were gay people um uh, who uh, who went to the uh place depending on the kind of music they liked but they were just one piece of the big diverse uh very welcoming culture in that bar in the middle of um uh the deep conservative south so um, this was a phenomenon and, and, uh, the story, uh, there, there's, uh, the word tragedy in the headline. So I'm going to give it away. One of the two, um, co-owners, um, of the, who, who founded the bar was shot in the head. Um, and, um, uh, I- I'm uh, stabbed and he was attacked. I'm sorry. All co- with an ax. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm trying to follow my own, um, notes and I can't even read my handwriting. Um, uh, he was, a, I, I, haven't, I haven't yet finished the book, but, uh, but I'll be interviewing him for the first uh, couple of weeks in January when that book comes out as a paperback. Um, so um, I, di- I didn't get to the end, so I can't spoil it for you as far as what they uh, determine and how it, uh, it turns out ultimately. But the, um, the, he would, the, the, in the very blurb of the book, you'll learn that the man was attacked and survived. Um, so it's a really juicy, fun, and, and, and if you like that kind of crime drama, it's, it's sad, but it's also, it's rollicking. It's a wonderful read. So I think I'm going to have a good time with him, um, uh, letting him discuss his book. Um, and uh, he is, uh, he himself, the writer, um, Professor Harrison, um, on just in the back and forth I've had with emails, you can tell he's very candid, very colorful, very engaging. So I'm very much looking forward to that one. Um, and again, I want to reiterate something you, you brought up, Pip. It's those Southern presses. They're part of, of the um, our own voice. Um, I, these presses are breaking ground. And w- the three of us from University uh, Press of Mississippi, which represents um, the eight universe, uh, state universities of the state of Mississippi, it's pretty remarkable. It kind of is a, a remarkable. As uh, uh, John's book about uh, marriage and the couples in uh, Mississippi, you think, well, that's the reddest of the red states, or one of the reddest. Um, it has a lot of com- competition with those states nearby, it like my home state, Louisiana and Alabama. Um, but um, there they are in the South, these presses sticking their necks out for this, for our voices to be heard. So I want to shout out to those, uh, those presses. And this one's by the South uh, South Carolina Press, so University of South Carolina Press. So, and, you, and John, you just mentioned Duke. Um, and so, and I have a couple coming up from Georgia um, I, I've been looking at. So um, I think there's a lot in store for our listeners coming up. So let me, let me move this on. I, again, I'm trying, I'm the guy keeping the, the time. Um, you're good about that, Morris. Uh, well, I got to keep my eye. We don't want to make our, our our listeners disappear. Um, <laughs> John, what are you doing? What's coming up in your uh, on your agenda for the program?
2: Yeah, I have two two um, authors lined up for January. The first is um, Gershon Aviles, who wrote a, who wrote the book Black Queer Freedom: um, Spaces of Injury and Paths of Desire, and his book. And I have to be honest, I have not read either of the books yet. I'm just starting to read them because I was just finishing my um, interview with uh, Sean Crawley. But his book is about exploring the um, psychological, physical threats by Black queer people in society. Um, And we see that happening all the time. And he looks at how art, how Black queer people have used art. To respond to this, and he doesn't only cover the United States; he covers several different cultures, but the United States is as a part of the book. And so, I really wanted to talk to him about that, and 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 his um his writings about the South, also as a part of the United States. And then I'll also be interviewing author Josephine Donovan about her book, The Lexington Six, Lesbian and Gay Resistance in the 1970s America. And it's about a um, lesbian commune in in, around Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm really looking forward to reading about that and especially about what she has to say about gay resistance in the 1970s. Since, um, you know, obviously we interviewed Bobby Fiesler about um, his book in 1970s New Orleans. And um, I think it's, and then your your interview with, Jim Downs, I believe.
1: Yeah, Jim Downs, yeah. yep.
2: So I'm really excited about talking to these two authors.
1: Yeah, I I love that it's helping. It definitely helped me um get a hold of some of our history. There there were no LGBT studies programs when I when I matriculated in undergrad school, um and uh, so th- this is a, a way to catch up for a- any listener out there who's curious about his or her history if you haven't had the opportunity. Um and Pip is is uh, one of those professors out there who teaches in that world, and so uh, we have a good we have a good team here. I think I, if I do want to pat ourselves on the back, we have a good. I think we of- do. Our, our, our points of view are all coming from all kinds of places. Um, what's next on this? Let's see. um
0: I think I could speak briefly if you don't mind. About yeah. I do think I got one interview coming up that I wanted to at least highlight. Um, I've sent out a few uh, feelers trying to uh, recruit some authors, um, which is always enjoyable. Um, though maybe when it comes from like a university email address, they think it's going to be some very academic conversation as opposed to just an enjoyable, uh, hour long, like discussion of their books. Maybe they, maybe they see Dr. Philip Gordon, like, what does he want? Um, uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I will say that the one interview that I have got someone to agree to, we're just working on the time is actually with, uh, uh, Jamie Harker, who is among uh, m- many other things, the uh, director of the Isom center at the university of Mississippi. That's the Isom center for women's and gender studies. She owns violet Valley books there in, uh, down in Mississippi, which is Mississippi's only queer feminist bookstore. Not its first. She'll be very quick to tell you, but the only one still in existence, um, and is an author of, of many books, but her most recent book is actually from the university of North Carolina press called the lesbian South Southern feminist, the women in print movement and the queer literary canon. Um, Um, I've been working for a couple of uh, weeks now trying to solidify a time at the end of a semester with exams and everything uh, to interview Jamie, who also was my dissertation director, about her book – framing lesbian life in the south thinking about the way that the lesbian south has been shaped by um, among other things the existence of a famous press the naiad press uh which was a, a a press devoted to to lesbian feminist uh storytelling and and publishing and was based in florida for many years much to people's sort of amazement when they find out that that the South has long harbored queer identities and been a a space for queer storytelling and queer existence because we too often think that it, it only exists in big cities and the only stories that end up getting told are, are stories of, of marches and protests and pride rallies when actually it's, it's much deeper than that. Um, and Jamie, as my dissertation director, uh, taught me a great deal about how to approach my own book and how to consider queer desires, how to, how to teach queer identity and queer community. Um, Though I'm not sure she's an enormous fan of of my adopting her name for a principle that I, I teach in my classes. I call it the Harker Principle. Anytime you want to talk about queer identities, queer activism, queer communities, just always remember lesbians did it first and lesbians probably did it better. Um, so, And y'all might be listening to that like... What? Uh, but I'm looking forward to interviewing her. Hopefully, sometime in January, and we can get an interview uh, posted on our podcast mm-hmm. uh, soon after that. If 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 we're lucky, it's a great book though. Um, and do we have anything else coming up? Do either of you have any other books that you're working on, or? Hoping to get in touch with their authors,
2: I have a I have a, um, a interview lined up. It's all the way out in April, though, so it'll be a little later. But a friend and colleague of mine who teaches at the same university has written a book called called the um, Healing Otherness Handbook, and it's a self help book um, based on her experiences being transgender and um, taking those experiences and coming up with ways to provide psychological healing for yourself if you come from any group that is othered. Um, And so it obviously especially relate to, the LGBTQ community and her discussion of, um, you know, her own experiences um, dealing with prejudice and discrimination as someone who's transgender. She's an amazing person, um, you know, obviously, because um, she's because she's my friend. No, but actually because she's such an intelligent person and has great ideas. And the tie into the South is that she's from San San Antonio, Texas. So she really um, works. Yeah, that works. So there you go. So I'm excited about talking to her and her books coming out the same month I'm interviewing her.
1: Um, I am um, I'm still researching I I am scrambling for a lot of reasons in my own personal life so so I'll get some more definitely coming up there's so much to tell so I'm thrilled to be part of this Um, John tell us tell the audience about our how we came together a little bit more about um, why we are doing what we're doing
2: only if you two will help me along the way because it's it's hard to remember all the pieces of it yeah (laughs) yeah sure so what i I remember looking back is and it's gosh 2020 has been a crazy year when i think about this but the three of us unfortunately had our books come out um during a pandemic which is is not easy obviously and we're you know we were struggling to find ways to promote our books i think university press in mississippi and all our books were published by upm as pip said earlier we um they did a great they were doing a great job and they have been doing a great job of promoting our books. Um but what you know there, there are a few ways to do it during a pandemic. So early on, before we knew each other, the press put an advertisement of our books in the Gay and Lesbian Review. And our books were three of the three of the books included out of I think four or five that were in there. And sometime around after that ad came in, I don't remember who contacted the other person first between the three of us, but the three of us got in touch and started collaborating about, you know, how can we work together to promote our books Yeah. during this time when we should all be doing book signings and we should be doing um, talks, but we can't do that yeah. now because we're
1: all we, socially distanced. Exactly. We, and, and the, we, well, I remember what happened is that a uh, universe, we, we, the three of us start talking University the uh, University Press of Mississippi about us doing a one-off kind of um, – what do you call that? I can't even think. It. it wasn't a podcast. It was just a, a webinar. Live. Yeah, a, a webinar, yeah, or just a live um, um, uh, digital event, a virtual event. Oh, a panel event.
2: discussion. That's a panel it. A panel discussion. discussion. We
1: called ourselves yeah. queer, queer Voices of the South because we that's right. were brainstorming. Right. So that's, that was this, the, the germ of this. It wasn't a podcast yet. It was just us talking. And for the exact reason, we, you know, how do you get out there when you're not allowed to go into places and uh, even people who, are, who have masks on? And, you know, one of the things I was looking forward to doing is going home to Louisiana and seeing a lot of people um, th- that I hadn't seen in decades um, who have been so receptive and wonderful um, in feedback about my book, um, I wanted to be out there. I wanted to show them that I really appreciate that. And they're listening. I really appreciate that. Um, and it's hard to do digitally, to, uh, frankly. So um, this is – I think that was that was the seed of um, us not only helping ourselves – um, but really trying to f- corral everyone who's in the same boat, and then we're we broadened ourselves. We want to talk. We want to talk to anybody who's got a book within um, a, a fresh book, a current book, twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, and and a few years earlier than that. Then uh, so um, maybe uh, we we'll, we'll have a. We, we haven't decided firmly which our cutoff point. But if the book is a, is an LGBTQ plus book um, with story that hasn't been told. That is told by one of the voices of the South, whether it's the publisher or the individual writing or about a uh, person. Um, then that's those stories we want to tell, especially if they haven't been covered in places like this, uh, the New Books Network. So I don't think we're going to restrict ourselves to absolutely brand new, but we are trying to get as current as possible, and that's what we're—that's uh, what I remember us saying. That was our mission. That was our—that's what we're about.
0: If I can weigh in here, I actually uh, have a a decent memory of how at least how we started getting in touch, though I will always credit that the two of y'all have done so much more uh, to really get this podcast off the ground. I just got I just Instagrammed somebody and said, hey, Uh, so as it happens, uh, as it turns out, uh, the day we are recording this, not the day it will be released, is actually the a year to the day when I came home at the end of the spring, 20, uh, fall 2019 semester and had a package sitting on my doorstep that was uh, an advanced copy of my book that was going to come out in a couple of weeks. Uh, oh, the, wow. Uh, yeah, it was a really fantastic moment. Uh, Katie yeah. Kane down at the University Press in Mississippi had sent me a copy to congratulate me that had been published, kind of, I think, a, a fairly normal thing for publishers to do and was probably one of the most significant moments of my life that this life work of mine had finally sort of hit, was in print with this beautiful cover that was done by an old professor of mine. And and all the work go, goes into writing a book, which until you've written a book and edited it and published it, you, you really don't don't know, but oh my goodness. Um, and it was amazing. And I was looking forward to, um, this wonderful spring, of uh, book events and traveling down to Mississippi. And as, as some friends of mine said, being feated by the greats of Mississippi to say, ha, you are here. You have written this. Yay. Uh, yes. I had, yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. I had, yeah, I had book events lined up, uh, at the Starkville pride, um, at several bookstores in Mississippi. Um, I was going to be swinging down into New Orleans even to see uh, one of my best friends uh, and spend some time with her, go to a new glitterary festival that they have, were hosting in Oxford, Mississippi. And quite literally a week before I was set to begin all that, the pandemic hit and everything was just flat out canceled. Um, and that was hard. And somewhere around then is also when y'all's books began to like also start getting published. I know it was sort of spring and I think uh, maybe early summer when your books were coming out. Um and in all that, I saw one day that the press had another title coming out of the Magnolia Closet uh, by this guy, John Marzalek, uh, something or other. And <laughs> it just so happened that I had just gotten an Instagram account because I thought social media would help advertise my book. And so I, I actually DM'd John uh that's that, right. and then within a few like within like a day you like you know gave me your number called me and we ended up talking on the phone for a while uh and then from there the press and, and uh kind of said but there's also morris and there's also they had a, another book out uh by what howard phillips i believe was his mm-hmm. name yeah uh, and, then, so. and that's where we started chatting and and very soon um we all sort of agreed on that on that um that panel discussion that we did online, uh, and that was in June. Though, admittedly, that's that's not even six months ago, or maybe it's seven months ago. It feels like it was twenty years ago. It does. It does. This, yeah. Uh, it does. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but from there, yeah, we sort of decided that we would maybe try to stay in touch and see what else would happen. Though, from there, honestly, I, I have to turn the story over to y'all again because that's where y'all started thinking about well like this platform and this forum as a way for us to continue moving forward. But for me, it's always felt like, yes, yeah, so my book might've come out right at the start of January and y'all's in, in March in this pandemic. And that certainly has affected what it was like to, to be an author and to have it, even those, that few moments, a few weeks there where you sort of get to get the, the plaudets and the, and the pats on the back from folks feeling like it sort of slipped out of our grasp and the mm-hmm. marketing became more difficult. But it reminded me, uh, and this whole podcast experience has reminded me of the fact that there are so many other people working in fields so close to ours and telling stories that are relevant to to ours and our work, and our work interacts with theirs. And this has been a way to remember that we're all sort of in this together and can all kind of reach out and, and use platforms like this so to raise each other up and to give each other a voice for the works that we've been doing that may not be getting as much press as we would like um, that are also by the descriptions that both of you had about the books you've done and the books that are coming up are clearly just fantastic works, brilliant books to read in the work time. So I don't, and I would leave if y'all had anything to add to that, that story. I I'm, I'm known as the guy with the absurd memory. I can well, remember like day of things. I,
2: <laughs> the only thing I want to add, Pip, and I've, you, you, you have a better memory than I do. That's pr- I, as soon as you said that I remembered it all, but you know, I, I loved how we started having um, these Friday afternoon video meetings to try to come up with ideas that eventually led to the podcast. But I think what was so fun is we'd um sometimes it would be cocktail hour, sometimes it would be gossip hour. And eventually we get to the work part of promoting our books. But it sure was a lot of fun to get to know each other and um just kind of connect during this pandemic because it gave us an opportunity to have fun and vent a little bit about the frustration of trying to promote a book during a pandemic.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I felt I needed it. It's, it's great to have uh, uh, even a small group like this for just three of us, um, but we're not alone. So um, and the more the more um, we get into this and start looking at these books. They, they are amazing. There's so much, like, like I've said before, there's so much to tell. So um, I'm psyched. I, I hope that uh, the listeners stay with us. And I would like for us to, we, we got to watch the time. I'm, I'm, I'm that evil timekeeper. Um, we only have about 10 minutes left. Um, I, I want to give our listeners a, um, uh, the idea about how to uh, be interviewed by us because we are open to, to um, solicitation. Tell us you what know, they reach out. Um, there's a way to, to reach us at, it, it, there's an email, uh, queer voices of the South, all run together, all spelled out, uh, queer voices of the South at gmail.com. Drop us an email and say, Hey, I have a book or my cousin has a book, or I know someone with a book that fits your mission. Um, and we would love to, to consider it. What we're doing is opening our antenna for everything possible. Uh, again, within the realm of the relatively recent, uh, if not brand new, um, and as long as it's a voice, it's one of the LGBTQ South, Southern-focused uh, voices out there, um, we welcome uh, people making suggestions to us. Pip, there were some questions. There was a question uh, that uh, we uh, someone brought up about um, let's see. What was it? Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe it was John um, who said that, that the we now are officially a channel uh, on the a New Books Network, which is quite an accomplishment. Talk about what that
2: means. Right, right. So… In the New Books Network, once you've once you've recorded enough podcasts, you are awarded your own channel, and that makes it even easier than it was before to subscribe. And you can subscribe on um, Apple Podcasts and several other several, several other um, I don't know what you call it places that let you subscribe to podcasts. What you'll see though that now that we're a channel is you'll see that any book that's focused on LGBTQ plus themes will be listed on that channel, whether it's our podcast or some somebody else's. And you may wonder, well, how do I know if it's a Queer Voices of the South podcast? Well the answer is is that if the if you see the host being um uh, Morris Arduin, Pip Gordon, or John Marzalak, you know it's the voices of the uh, Queer Voices of the South podcast. The other thing you'll notice is that at the very top in the description of the podcast, it'll say LGBTQ+, plus at the top, under that channel. It's interesting what New Books Network does, which is a great, great way to promote authors' books. Um, when we interviewed Morris on his book, um, the home channel is LGBTQ+, plus because um, it's for our podcast. But his book was also listed on the American South channel. So you'll see crossover like that, which is great for authors because you'll get your book promoted in the different channels of the New Books Network.
0: Um, But there's also – I mean I'm going to jump in here. The New New Books Network is great, and I am – I'm not a normal – podcast listener some of my friends are absolutely obsessed with them so they understand things like rss feeds it's just like normal language for them i myself am new to social media and i greatly appreciate uh morris i think you've been overseeing a lot of we have a facebook page and a twitter account don't we can you sort of tell folks how they can find some of that other social media where they find some of our posts and upcoming interviews and recently published interviews
1: Definitely. Thank you. Um, We, um, first of all, if you you can, uh, John mentioned it, but uh, it bears repeating, to subscribe, um, it's www.newbooksnetwork, all spelled out, .com. And um, you got to find the politics and society area on the top and then click on the LGBTQ plus studies. Um, But on Twitter, it's just uh, – our, 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 um, uh, you can find us at, at voices underscore south. So it's voices underscore south. On Facebook, all you have to do is search for Queer Voices of the South. You're going to find that page, and please please join the page. Um, that's where we're going to be posting, um, and on Twitter um, – er- current events, uh, relating to the podcast and soliciting uh, for new books. Uh, so please join again. Those of it's it, on Twitter, it's, uh, at voices underscore South and on Facebook, it's queer voices of the South, just like that. Um, so I think, um, that would hopefully if you have any questions go back to that email I'd given earlier um, let's see if I can find it it's queer of the South spelled out at gmail.com and so any if you have a question if you lost somewhere then send us an email we'll get back to you Pip, one more thing um, before we get off. We uh, we have, uh, or maybe John, you wanted to add something. Either one, uh, a listener is asking us about our New Year's resolutions. We have a few minutes.
0: I wanted our- to make sure we got to that. I noticed that we yeah. actually have a question up there. You know, we've been we've been talking business this whole time, but reality, yeah. we, in reality, we are, if I may, a bunch of sort of uh, gossipy queens. We have all sorts of other things you can talk. <laughs> <about>. This is <laughs> true. Yeah. Oh, very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, New Year's resolutions was a, one of those questions that we we did have come up. I'm going to I'm actually going to take the, the reins on this one so that I can ask you both. So you have to answer first before I do. Uh, if you had any New Year's resolutions, whether they be author themed or otherwise, would you would you fill in our audience as a way to sort of take us home on this on this end of year interview about this queer voices of the South? John Morris, have fun. Go for it. John, you want to go first? <laughs>
2: I was going to have Morris go first. You're putting nope, me on the spot. Nope, nope. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, go ahead, John. Guess, okay. Okay. If I must. I, as an author, you know, I guess I'm working on another project that I'm not going to reveal yet, but I I, I just, one of my resolutions is to keep up the writing. And um, I don't know if, if you two are this way, but I get it with the way I work is I get into these places where I can just write, 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 write. And then I get other times when I'm just like, God, I can't. I can't do it, you know? So I'm trying to have a resolution that I'm going to do it more regularly than just those periods when I feel the energy. And in terms of our podcast, a resolution that I have is I'm really committed to interviewing authors from diverse groups within the LGBTQ plus community. You know, especially um, I have several transgender friends, and I I think that they have just— been treated terribly in our country, um, especially in the current administration. And then I think, obviously, with what's happened in our country with Black Lives Matter and other things, I really am committed to interviewing groups, um, whether they be Black queer, Hispanic queer, um, um, you know, people from the lesbian community. I just, I'm really excited about us being able to interview diverse groups within our overall community
0: more. I'm going
1: to to echo that. Yeah, (laughs) I I will echo exactly what you said. Diversity, inclusion is what we're all about. Um, We are other voices um, that are not in the mainstream. And that has been for for eons by design and uh, not our design. So it's, it's about time we elbowed our way in. Um, And I think this is an audience that is so full of talent and so has so many stories to tell. We are going to have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to um, the, the, the books we can cover. Um, So I, I I absolutely echo what you just said on that. My personal um, resolution, well, first of all, let's get, uh, um, 2020 in, in hindsight <laughs> and I, I just don't want anything to do with this year so my resolution is to fight back any um um urge to wallow around and woe is me 2020 look what happened to us it's terrible i'm going to use this as a springboard 2020 for a wonderful 21 2021 and doing what you're doing too uh john is to write um i have i have the same issue i never get writer's block i get um uh blocked by other things in my life where I can't get to my writing. Um, So, which is a problem. Real life really sucks when it comes to a person who needs to write. And uh, I have to write in isolation. I can't write with a house of screaming people and a very needy dog, but I have all that. So I have, my resolution is to carve myself out some time and place every single day, because unless you write every day, even if it's just notes on your phone, um, you—it's a muscle you got. We got to keep building it. And I have some other things to say too. I'm not going to tell you what they are. One of my interests, though, is, aside from the the memoir, um, is uh, food. So um, that might be a hint. Um, I am working on something like that. But I'm also working on another book or two idea. And I'm not sure which one is going to get most of my attention, but I, I'm a writer. I will write in uh, each of those places on any given day. And I don't necessarily have to have a plan because I'm that scatterbrained. So that's what I'm doing too, John. So you and I are very similar. Pip, what are you doing? What's your resolution?
2: Well, can I say one thing before we go on? Um, yeah, yeah, Mark, go ahead. I, I want I want you to tell our listeners about your wonderful blog where you share recipes that you've, you've developed. They, I've made some of them and they are just absolutely amazing.
1: Oh, thank you. I love, I love the opportunity. If it, it, you can find me at my name, it's um, Morris Ardwin, M-O-R-R-I-S-A-R-D-O-I-N uh, dot com. That's my website. My, my, uh, my blog is called Parenthetically Speaking because maybe you hear it in the way I actually speak. I do a lot of parenthetically, parenthetical talking. So, um, <laughs> my blog is f- focuses on food, um, Louisiana food, a lot of food that's mentioned in my memoir, but also on new food and food that I've experimented with over the years as a home cook. Um, I've taken some professional training, um, but it's not I'm not a professional by any means, but I love uh, the whole thing of, of making a, a trying out old recipes from my home and updating them, making them healthier, um, Making taking a cake from the 1970s and getting rid of the fast, the the, 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 the packaged, prepackaged goods. Because back in the 70s, convenience was the, the thing. And so you would mix a, a box of this and a package of that and call it homemade. Well, I try to un, un, undo that with real recipes. So um, thank you for letting me plug it. Again, it's com, And so now, Pip, your turn.
0: Well, I I will admit, Morris, I've not tried any of your recipes because my cooking skills. Um, well, let's just say it wouldn't go well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I can I, mean, uh, I can I can put some butter on some toast with the best of them. I tell you, uh, I love toast. I
1: have toast in my in my my book.
0: Yeah. Um, So I um, for me earlier, I mentioned just in passing that Gay Faulkner has been a a life, a life's work so far. And now it's out there in the world and has been for almost exactly a year. Uh, A friend of mine got a bit a a bit pissy with me when I mentioned it was my life work. She mentioned that. Don't call it that you act like your life's over or something and you're not even 40. Uh, And she's right. Uh, It's been my life's work so far. I've been working on it since. At least 2007, if not actually around 2004 or something, uh, based on early conversations that led to it, and it's been not a void per se, but it's been like a revelation, uh, sort of sort of facing each day without this bo- without this book being there. Why isn't it done yet? Why haven't you sent it out? Well, now it's there, and so now it's cleared up my 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 mind about where I want to move next in terms of my own writing, as I think you all have mentioned. Um, and I didn't entirely mean to find myself you know, extending Gay Faulkner, uh, but a group called Faulkner Studies in the UK uh, runs a colloquium every year that's gone online. So I have been asked to give a keynote for them uh, in late January, where I'm actually going to try to start outlining a bit of of of, like a towards a trans Faulkner. Uh, I argue in the book that that Faulkner knew gay men, was comfortable in gay communities, fashioned for himself a gay identity. Um, I would certainly not gonna argue that Faulkner was secretly trans, but um, it turns out that a lot of young adult literature, a lot of queer literature, um, and a lot of literature by women and people of color is using Faulkner in very explicit ways in a cont- in a contemporary setting, and I'm just curious to explore what it means to kind of carry Faulkner across that divide of this old kind of uh, lionized white man from the past, and that he's finding his way into voices uh, like Meredith Russo's "If I Was Your Girl," the young adult novel. Um, uh, deliver Us from Evie, Emmy Kerr's like 1990s kind of work of lesbian YA uh, fiction. Uh, Jasmine Ward uh, uses As Are They Dying to frame her National Book Award winning novel about a, a black girl uh, experiencing Hurricane Katrina, Salvage the Bones. And I'm, I'm curious as to how that, uh, how people are finding that Faulkner's voice is still useful in these settings. And I think when you start kind of pulling away the trappings of gender, that actually helps helps frame that. That was a much longer explanation that I meant to give. Uh, that's actually my next project. And beyond that, I do have another book in the works on Faulkner, though, given my time frame, probably it'll be a few years, like, you know, by 2030. Um, uh, but then when I think about sort of more immediate goals, especially with this, with this podcast, I, I kind of enjoy what y'all had to say about the new voices that we are hoping to, to, to interview, and I'm excited about where this podcast can go. Uh, I think it's a great start in hearing about all of the interviews that y'all have done. It, it's one of those like, I'm glad it's Christmas now. I will simply ask my family to buy me all of these books for Christmas, <laughs> uh, you, know? Uh, yeah. you know, something like that. Because I'm like, wow, now I need to read all of that. Thank you, uh, you know. Uh, but I'm, I'm very excited about where we will, where we can go and where we will be going with this podcast, because there are so many voices. Um, And as we kind of move forward, I feel like, you know, we may not, we may not get every interview we ask for. Sometimes it's hard to schedule times, but I do know we've got a lot of good coming up. And I think we each are working on um, other folks uh, in future to start really F- using this platform to record a lot of voices and a lot of stories that that deserve to be told and that are, when you start listening to them are um, riotously funny as Morris might say about, I think one of the books he's got coming up or just deeply, deeply moving as a Sean Crawley mm-hmm. book seems to have been yeah. um, and everywhere in between that our own books have done. And I'm really looking forward to using this next year to see to see just how how much I can do with this podcast and interviewing folks even if it's you know just four or five interviews I can get done in the next 6 to 8 months that would still be I think something something really great to say that I have done in this coming year so that's what I would say is my new year's resolution
1: Great! That's that's great. I think we're all on the right track. Get our butts in the seat and keep (laughs) riding. It sounds, Uh. Pip. You got years and years of Faulkner ahead of you. It might be your life's work, whether you like it or not. So yeah, I'm
0: I'm coming to that realization in my in my middle age. When I consider how my life is spent, or half my world with Faulkner, it's so wide. Yeah. yeah, Anyway.
1: I look forward to see what happens. Um, I can't wait to read them all. Um, both of you guys are an inspiration to me. I don't work in the academic world, but I love being so close to it. It keeps my keeps me a little bit on my toes. When I, when I was slacking off before, just hanging out, writing a book, you know. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Um, it's time for us to get off the air, um, and it's. I think we should just wish our listeners a very very happy New Year. Why don't we do that in unison? How about one, two, three. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year everybody. All right, I'm and there. join us again in 2021 um for Queer Voices of the South. Bye-bye everybody.